Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, tonight we are going to take another dive into the Nagara Sutta. Uh, <clears throat> it is one of the uh, one of the deepest ones uh, that I know of. Um, <clears throat> it is a description of what Siddhartha awakened to, when his awakening happened, what exactly happened in that, in that mind. Uh, this is a description uh, that he gave. Um, my sense is that this is already a fair amount into his teaching career. Um, he has already taught dependent origination for quite some time because he uses the terms uh, pretty uh, succinctly. Uh, he doesn't do a lot of, not a lot of explaining to all of the terms. Um, but you know, this is the big answer, like, what happened? Um, and when you get that kind of setup, um, it's helpful to, when you see the answer, it's helpful to go back and ask, what, what's the question? And, um, and he covers that right in the beginning. Um, when you read a sutta like this it's then also helpful for yourself at least for me to go back and look at well who's asking the question you know who's this who's this person that's that's um, asking this profound question and comes up with an answer for it and we, in the last couple of weeks, we have gone through um, the teaching on the noble and ignoble search, which gives us a, a fair answer as to after he left the palace, you know, you know, what kind of questions was he asking, and, and what kind of answers was he getting, and and what did he do with that? And you can go back a little bit further, and, and again, it, it that comes down to like, what's the question that he's asking? You know, why is he asking this question? Um, and, and the question basically is, um, you know, why is there no understanding of the ending of stress and suffering, of aging and death? Um, 
And so that, this, is, this is what he's after. Uh, and he goes through six years of arduous practice. Uh, towards the end, he gets into the ascetic life um, and he just about kills himself trying to get to the answer, you know, because this is what he was taught, like this is how you, how you come to understanding, how, how, you, how you end, no, actually, this is how you come to the end of, of suffering. And, you know, he, he gets as far as he can go. I mean, literally, the man is, is inches away from dying. This is how deep he goes into that. This is, this is the, <coughs> this is the intensity of the man, and it, it, it just uh, at times just overwhelms me as to how how intense he was. He was not only intense, but he was also he was intelligent. The man had a brain, um, so uh, so those are the word, Those are the the things that come before this this sutta. Uh, Great introduction. Uh, thank you. Um, I've taught it once before, and um, it's um, <laughs> it's daunting. Um, there is. The depth in this in this sutta is is uh, almost overwhelming. Uh, every sentence carries um, so much meaning and so much insight, um, and it's it is condensed. So I'm going to have to unpack a few things um, as we go along. <clears throat> so. Let's begin the Buddha's words. The Buddha was at Savadhi, at Jita's Grove, and Atapandika's monastery. There he addressed those gathered. Friends, before my awakening, when I was only an unawakened <coughs> bodhisattva, I came to the realization of the difficulties in the world. So he's, he's already describing himself as someone who's still searching. But um, with a, a deep desire to to be of help with great compassion. The Buddha's words. The world is born, it ages, it dies. It falls away and returns. But there is no understanding of the ending of stress and suffering of aging and death. When will the world understand the cessation of the stress and suffering from aging and death? 
So he has seen plenty of the world around himself. He has seen it in himself. He's, he sees how, how he's aging. He's only in his, in his 30s at the, what, in the time of that he describes here. And, and he, strangely enough, he's been shielded from the stress and suffering in the world because that's how he was brought up. He was brought up to, to not be confronted with those things. But he does it anyhow. And my sense is that with his intelligence and his drive, He realizes his situation. Here he is with all the wealth and potential happiness that can be had at that time. And he realizes that he is not happy. He is not content. And he has the the intelligence to to see that he should by all accounts be happy be content and he's not um, and he thinks it's because of his sheltered situation so he breaks out of his sheltered situation and he, he sneaks out and he goes and, and sees the world and he realizes that um, he's not alone in that. He, he sees that you know, other people with way more suffering um, have that same um, discontent, that same unhappiness, the stress that comes with all of that. Uh, he sees it everywhere. So at that point, He just has to know. He has to. He has to ask the question. And he has to find the answer. And this is what sets him off on this this six year quest right, to answer this question. You know, how do I understand the root of this stress? You know, where where does that come from? I understand that the world contains suffering. That's you know that's a given. I see it all around me. I understand this is normal. Why do we stress out about it? Why are we unhappy about what happens to us? The words of the Buddha. Did you say that line again, please, Ron? Why are we unhappy? Why are we unhappy about what stresses us? Is that what you said? Why are we unhappy about what happens to us? What happened, yeah. It's about that, the way that you put it that was so it was just perfect because mm -hmm. that really is where the way it happens to us we're unhappy and when we think about it we get unhappy we are unhappy yes you know and anybody but Siddhartha would just take that okay well you know this is how it is you yeah. know and he's 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 not Satisfied with that? Yeah, but you again—you put it in that—you put it in 
terms of because of his intelligence, he was able to see it. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, again, that, that's it's so important to bring that out. I, I, yeah. I promised I wasn't going to interrupt you. No, that, that's that's fine. <laughs> but it's it, it's it's something that just strikes me yeah. about when when you when you read these these teachings, how this 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 burning intelligence. Yeah. He just has to know. He's not going to be content with the the answers because he can see that they're false. Yeah. He's and so he, he gets in there. You know, he's a young man. He's he's vigorous. He's um, curious. He's curious. Uh, maybe also a little bit. Um, you know, um, what do you call it these days? Um, Self-righteous. Self-righteous, yeah. Um, you know, I, I am the noble person here. You know, I am I'm a king's son. Damn it, I'm, I want to know. You know, it's my privilege to know these things. Uh, it's my desire to know these things. And, and the, the society at that time had space for that. But, you know, we, we have to... Um, we have to give some credit to, to the time there. There was space for somebody with that kind of desire to actually go out and and do it. It was, you know, those people like right. that were supported with alms yeah. and clothes and all that. You know, you lived on nothing, but still, you know, you, you, were, you were able to stay alive and and do this search, this quest. And it was, um, and in a, in a way, you know, we can still do this too, you know, because we are that more affluent that, uh, you know, all of us have, you know, this, we have this option, you know, where we're not, you know, we're not running three shifts, you know, and, and trying to feed the whole family. We have this little bit of extra built into into us, so that's why we can we can study these teachings and and get the benefit from it. The Buddhist words. Then I had the thought: What initiates aging and death? What is the requisite condition? that aging and death are dependent on for arising. So he's, he's, he's digging for the root here, and he, he keeps on digging. <clears throat> this aging and death, basically life, you know, and how we experience it. It's not just life itself that he's asking for. He's, he's still, he's going back to his, his question. You know, the understanding of, of stress and suffering. So, okay, stress and suffering we think is caused by, uh, you know, the, the regular day-to-day -day suffering in life. So, where does this experience come from? From my appropriate mindfulness came a breakthrough of understanding. 
a word on the appropriate mindfulness here. The thing that happened before, just before what he's describing now, in, in what happened in his life, was that after <clears throat> he got out of his ascetic lifespan, realized that this was not going to give him the answer. And this was the last quest that he, that, that he had been on from, from an outside source. You know, he'd been following other people's advice here. And he finally <clears throat> realized that um, he needed his mind to work. He was going to use his own mind to dig for the answer. I th <laughs> my feeling is that that when he was in his ascetic phase, he was starting to realize that he couldn't think anymore. When you starve your body to that extent, this organ here up top requires a lot of fuel. And um, you know when you when you first start. Um, depriving yourself of some food, it, it clears up a little bit. But as you go on and you really starve this body, uh, you can't think anymore. You get really dull. Uh, the whole world just kind of closes into like, I'm going to stay alive here. Um, so he got to that point. Um, <laughs> He was going to take a bath in the river, couldn't make it off the bank. This was a, just a like just a regular river with a with a sandy bank, and he couldn't make it up the bank anymore. A fourteen-year-old girl pulled him out. He must have weighed something like fifty pounds, because he was literally skin and bones. He said he could touch his spine from here. Um, so the girl brings him basically back to life with some, you know, regular food, some, some uh, rice and, 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 and milk, things like that. Um, and this is where he, he then realizes, I just need to feed his body and I need to now use my mind. I want to get to this to the bottom of this, but I'm going to use my own mind because um, there is no, uh, I'm not getting any help from the outside. And he gets back to an old technique that he had used to settle his mind, and which is what we do now in meditation. He realizes that if he just <clears throat> puts his attention on his breathing, he can get rid of the distractions. Because you know, he was a, he was a, there was a busy mind there. Um, and he had already learned in, as, as a young man to, um, to bring that mind to, to a good focus, to good concentration. Um, so he finally sits down and, and 
gets back to his meditation, to <coughs> ridding his mind of distractions. Um, so this is where the appropriate mindfulness comes from. From my appropriate mindfulness came a breakthrough of understanding. From birth, as the requisite condition, comes aging and death. So, he's using birth here um, as, a, as a little shorthand. Um, he's already taught dependent origination. And birth is one of the last, actually the last step in dependent origination. And it's helpful to look at, uh, where was I? Dependent origination. Because in the second part of the teacher Sankhapada Sutta, he defines his terms. And so we can use that to get a little clarity on this, because this is kind of a, a bit of a dense statement. Now, what is birth? Birth is a descent, the coming forth, the coming to be. Birth is the appearance of the six sense bases and the five clinging aggregates. To me, that was like, oh, here we are. The appearance of the five clinging aggregates. So the birth that he's talking about here is the coming to be of the five clinging aggregates. The five clinging aggregates is the thing that we have constructed. This is the thing that experiences this aging and death, that experiences this stress. So, we need to have somebody, something here to experience this aging and death. That's, the, you know, that's the requisite condition here. And it's an, it's an odd way to get into dependent origination because we're coming in from the back end. Here. So we have stress, suffering, aging, and death. Somebody needs to be there to experience that. This birth, this coming to be has to happen. Then I had the thought, what initiates birth? What is the requisite condition that birth is dependent on for arising? So he asked, what, how does this entity that we just discovered, how does that come to be? Where, where you know, how, how, how is that put together? Where does that happen? From my appropriate mindfulness came a breakthrough of understanding. From becoming, 
As the requisite condition comes birth. Now, becoming is a very tricky word. Um, it's one of the few that in, in the lineup of dependent origination that he does not define. And I spend a lot of thought on, on that word alone. My sense is that when it came to becoming this, this step in dependent origination, that he was seeing something in his mind that nobody had ever explained to him before. He saw something happening that was unique. And he didn't, there wasn't actually a word for it. He used either an existing word or he modified one. We're not sure, you know, there, that's, that's just lost, that's lost in time. Um, but he comes up with this word called bhava, which has been translated into English as becoming. Um, the early translators of, um, of Pali, um, Rice Davis and, and, and others, um, were, were trying to, to translate this huge volume of work um, which came to them uh, mostly in the form of Pali, but also under uh, uh, Sanskrit. Now, in Sanskrit, there was there was a lot of, of um, linguistic knowledge there. Um, and when I looked into it, um, this word bhava comes from a from a root that it shares with uh, with Sanskrit, and it's a root, the way it was described was, it has no object. It's in, intransient. Which is a little tricky because becoming, you, you want to ask the question, well, becoming what? Um, but that seems not to be the right question because uh, becoming is uh, used as a as a noun here. It doesn't have. It doesn't. It's not like a verb that it refers to a subject or an object. It's something. To my mind, he's pointing at something that happens in in the mind. And, and becoming has, to me, the sense of there, there's, a, there's a movement here. We are, we are turning from one thing into, into another. Um, so if we look at that from what we just looked at in birth, like 
we have this entity that experiences suffering. So he's asking the next question. How does this entity come to be? And this becoming, the way I'm starting to understand it is when we're living our lives and we get involved in life with its, its stress, when we get involved with the things we don't want, we tend to move away from that moment. We're, we're going somewhere else. We don't want to be here. This is, we're not accepting what life gives us. We want to go somewhere else. We either go back in the past and say, oh yeah, it was a lot better then, you know, and I want that, or we'll move into the future and say, you know, if we just, you know, if I'm something else, if I'm somewhere else, it's going to be better. Um, this, this movement away, out of, out of the present, is what I believe that the Buddha meant by becoming. And in that process of leaving the present, like almost not accepting the present, we are now constructing this entity Back all of our feelings and thoughts all these things are being fabricated, fabricated in this in this moment in, in not so much in the moment but in this process we're, we're fabricating a a person Something an identity, something yeah. that would experience suffering, and that person, because it's yeah. fabricated, is experiencing all this stress. Well, and because it, it, it because it, it, because it's, and the and the fabricator is doomed to experience that stress. Yeah, that's the that's the brilliance in that moment. Right. It's, it's, so it's look at, look at the fabric. These are dependent originations. These one thing is dependent on the other. This. And what is it all rooted in? From ignorance as a requisite condition? Yes, it, it all kids. comes from ignorance, right <laughs> at the very beginning. But we're, we're now, he's now teasing apart these, these dependencies. Mm. He's, he's pointing them out, he's teasing them apart, and in doing so, this is where he gives us the tools to break out of these dependencies. So we have, to, we have to know the intricacies of how we got to this point. Because yeah. here we are, in these fabricated beings that are experiencing a lot of stress. And because we're here, we, we want to get out of that. But in order to do that in the right way, we, we need to understand what's going on.
these these links need to be broken. So we have to take a, a, a hard look at the links. Yes, we know they're all coming from ignorance. But knowing that it's coming from ignorance doesn't help us breaking this bond here. Yeah. And so he gave us a, a gentle path in order to do that. As a, yeah. As, as, this, and, as yeah. these fabrications arise. And as you see happen. later on in the Nagara Sutta, he says, well, this is the path that I made, for, that, yeah. that I came up for you. And, and, but it's, it's based on these, these insights the, that he had. Yeah. And, and, um, and he then, you know, he, he kind of codifies that in, in the whole of dependent origination. Yeah, dependent origination. Um, but, you know, but he, this is where he started. He started with, okay, there is stress and suffering. We don't like it. Now what? Oh, shit. There's somebody who does not like this. Oh, okay. Well, how did that come to be? So here we are. He has found the origin of that fabricated construct that we call ourselves. He's found that. Now, he takes a jump. The words of the Buddha. Then I had the thought, what initiates name and form? What is the requisite condition that name and form is dependent on for arising? So he takes a slight step sideways from, from the regular uh, sequence of dependent origination. He says, okay, but, but he's already he's in the neighborhood here. What initiates name and form? Well, first of all, what is name and form? Name and form is when we identify ourselves with this form. This is a form. We now say this is our form. We identify with it. So that's, it's, it's again, one of the earlier steps of dependent origination. But it has to do with this fabricated entity that's experiencing suffering. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just hanging in here for, you know, because this, uh, there, there is so many intricacies, so many things that are interwoven here um, that it, it, uh, it taxes my brain. So bear with me here. You're doing great. Oh. You're doing great. Um, Very clear. From my appropriate mindfulness came a breakthrough of understanding. From consciousness, as the requisite condition, comes out <coughs> in form. Okay, consciousness. In this setting, consciousness is basically our ongoing conglomerate of thinking. This how this mind deals with the world. This, this is... Is it the understanding? A person's understanding? Yes. Um, that's the cream at the top. It boils out of all the thinking that we do, all the, all the 
it also comes part of it out of out of the, the mental fabrications. Um, That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, understanding based on fabrications, based on mm -hmm. ignorance. Yeah. Uh, so it's an understanding of of um, ourselves, or or fabricated understanding of ourselves, or fabricated understanding of, of the world. It all kind of, yeah. And we love to to um, put a lot of weight and importance on this this concept of consciousness, but it's just stuff stuck together in the end. You know? um, and everybody's consciousness is is different from from them because everybody comes up with with a from a different uh, experience of the world and a different reaction to that experience in the world. You know? And all of that boils together to consciousness. And it's that consciousness that <coughs> then forms that identity that is then stuck to this body. So here you have the dependency of consciousness and um, name and form. From consciousness as the requisite condition comes name and form. If there's no consciousness there, there can't be somebody there who is attached to the form. It, it requires that. Then I had the thought. What initiates consciousness? What's the requisite condition that consciousness is dependent on for arising? From my appropriate mindfulness, sitting in meditation, came a breakthrough of understanding. From name and form, as the requisite condition, comes consciousness. There has to also be somebody there already that's already attached to this form to have the consciousness and the ongoing thinking and the ongoing fabrication. Then, I had the thoughts. This consciousness turns back at name and form and goes no farther. So, <coughs> you know, I call this the Big Bang. He sees the kernel that's, that's at, at the core of what's happening in the mind. We have a consciousness that's attached to an identity. And we have an identity that's formed by the consciousness. And these two are just interwoven and we've got, you know, the loop at the beginning of, the, of all this mess. And that's what he says. It is to this extent that there is birth, aging, death, falling away, and returning. To this extent. To this extent. This is where it's happening. Consciousness turns back at name and form and goes no farther.
And this is also where the beginning of the second noble truth is happening. He's seeing first noble truth, there is suffering. Second noble truth, the origination of suffering is from clinging and craving. So he sees how this clinging and craving is happening in this feedback loop from the, the identity and consciousness, identity and consciousness. This is where the, the, the first kernels of, of clinging happen. It's basically clinging to an identity. Then I had the thought. The sixth sense base, the five physical senses and consciousness, is dependent on the condition of name and form. And this is the origination of the entire mass of suffering. And we could spend another <laughs> two hours on these, you know, five sentences. Um, it is the, um, you know, this is, this is the awakening. This is his awakening realized the loop that he was that he had been stuck in all this time and he finally teases it apart and all stress and suffering fall away because that person he realizing what what this entity is that is experiencing the suffering and it's nothing it's all made up it's fabricated stuff it's a bird's nest of experiences fabrications whatever all put together and there comes the brilliant mind of the Buddha finally cleared of all distractions and he blows right through it that is awakening Vision arose, understanding arose, discernment arose, knowledge arose, illuminating insight arose within me with regard to things never known before. And truly, this had not been known before. It is still rare in the world. And we are incredibly fortunate that these words are still around because we can get there. This is, this, is, this is the promise of all of this. Is, this is not just you know, some, somebody coming down from the gods and telling us, yeah, this is how it's supposed to be done. No, this, is, this, is, this was done. This was experienced. This was a flesh and blood person. And he had the, the wisdom and the compassion to teach this. Then I had the thought, what is the condition that the cessation of stress of aging and death is dependent on? 
So with what will we end this this loop? For my appropriate mindfulness came a breakthrough of understanding from the cessation of birth as the requisite condition comes the cessation of the stress of aging and death. So if we put an end to constructing this personality, the five clinging aggregates, the, the sixth sense base, when we stop fabricating that, that's a cessation of stress, of aging and death. From my appropriate mindfulness came a breakthrough of understanding. From the cessation of consciousness, as a requisite condition, comes the cessation of name and form. So again, here he breaks the loop. If we end if we see through this this consciousness this what we think as how we how we experience the world This is so complex. <laughs> it twists my mind. Um, but because there are several loops involved here, I'm seeing that now again. Um, Where does wise restraint bring you? Uh -huh. The restraint is is in. Restraining, yeah, and in, in the end, it's restraining this idea that this is who you are, that this is a that this is an entity, that this is an entity that that is solid, that is permanent. You stop, you know, find find a way to stop. Seeing that, you know, as as your truth, then um, there's nobody there to suffer anymore. There's nobody there to get upset with life. To to want something better or more or less or whatever. What primary tool did Siddhartha give us to interrupt that kind of consciousness? There we have the, you know, the eightfold path. Is that's it. And and it's it's a carefully crafted tool, very carefully crafted. So here he says, I have attained the following path to awakening. 
This is how he sees his awakening. From the cessation of name and form comes the cessation of consciousness. From the cessation of consciousness comes the cessation of name and form. From the cessation of name and form also comes the cessation of the six sense media. All our senses and ongoing thinking, which leads to consciousness. From the cessation of the six sense media comes the cessation of contact. If we are no longer attached to our senses, we no longer get affected by what we perceive through those senses. If those senses are just senses, then what comes through there, what we see, what we hear, what we sense, even our skin, is no longer something that we're going to react to as the I want this, I don't want this. Because from the cessation of contact comes the cessation of feeling. All feelings are based on something that comes in through our senses. They're triggered. From the cessation of feeling comes the cessation of craving. If we don't have feelings, we also don't have this desire for more or less. And there has to be somebody there that you believe in is you that can actually want something. All these things are, are tied in together. From the cessation of craving comes the cessation of main, clinging and maintaining. From the cessation of clinging and maintaining comes the cessation of becoming. If we no longer have this desire or aversion for what we experience in the world, we no longer have the need to get away from this moment, to get away from this experience. We can just experience it. There is no more becoming. From the cessation of becoming comes the cessation of birth. If we no longer want to get away from this moment, there is no need for this constructed personality anymore. Because everything is fine. We don't need to take anything personally. There's no person there. There's somebody there that experiences, but the desire for something else is gone. So we can experience life as it comes along. It's right there. From the cessation of this birth, this birthing, <coughs> that aging, death, sorrow, death, pain, and distress, despair, 
all seeds. Aging and death is still there, but there's no longer any stress about it. We may get sick, we do something about the illness. We see that death is coming, or death is coming. It's part of life. Why be special? You know? You're not special. You're going to die like everybody else. This is the cessation of the entire mass of stress. Vision arose, understanding arose, discernment arose, knowledge arose, illuminating insight arose within me with regard to things never known before. In this way, I saw a timeless path to be traveled by the rightly self-awakened ones. And what is this timeless path traveled by the rightly self-awakened ones? Just this noble eightfold path. Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right meditation. And I, I, when I first got into this, I, you know, and, and John started talking about the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths, you know, and my question at one point was, well, how the hell did he come up with that? Well, here you have it. You know, this is the path from these, from the understanding of how the mind works and how the mind fabricates its suffering, its stress and suffering. He comes up with a practice. This is how we get an understanding, because it sets limitations. And once you set limitations, and you start feeling the resistance in you that I have this rule I have to follow. I don't want to do it. And then you realize, oh, if there's a rule to follow and I don't want to follow this rule, what's going on in my mind here? You know, why is this? That's, and you start seeing how the craving and clinging actually comes right up. Why, you know, whether it's, this is not me. I don't want this. You know, I don't want this. Or, I don't want that much. <laughs> it's too much, please. Um, so, he says, the Buddha says, this is the ancient timeless path traveled by the rightly self-awakened ones. I followed this path. Following it, I came to direct knowledge of the stress of aging and death direct knowledge of the origination of the stress of aging and death, direct knowledge of the cessation of the stress of aging and death, and direct knowledge of the path leading to the cessation of the stress of aging and death. So here you have your Four Noble Truths coming directly out of his understanding of dependent origination. 
And he says it again. I follow this path. Following it, I came to direct knowledge of birth, becoming, clinging, craving, feeling, contact, sixth sense media, name and form, consciousness, direct knowledge of the origination of consciousness, direct knowledge of the cessation of consciousness, direct knowledge of the path leading to the cessation of consciousness. A slightly different formulation of the Four Noble Truths but it still hits the core of it. I followed that path. Following it, I came to direct knowledge of fabrications, direct knowledge of the origination of fabrications, direct knowledge of the cessation of fabrications, direct knowledge of the eightfold path leading to the cessation of fabrications. Knowing this directly, I have revealed it to monks, nuns, male lay followers, female lay followers, so that this undefiled life has become powerful, rich, detailed, well-populated, widespread, proclaimed among many beings. And that is the end of the sutra. Thank you, Ron. Thank you. Really outstanding teaching. Now you can relax. And I haven't even touched on a quarter of it. <laughs> but That's it's, what the next go around the floor. Yeah. Will, will set me right. Yeah, you'll be all right. Be all right. Um, the, the, it, it fascinates me that that feedback loop is really predicated on three things. The, the object, which is yourself, the subject, which is whatever you're dealing with, and your awareness or your knowledge of that thing. Mm-hmm. And then whether or not you are identified with that thing or you are viewing that thing from right view. So you're you're either having a fabricated experience of the subject object, or you're not. Mm-hmm. And if it's fabricated, you're identifying with it, and that that's the the massive stress and suffering that that follows. Yep. Um, and just just seeing that that loop, it's just it's mind boggling. It is. Um, yeah. So thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. And I. I, I'll have to drop a little early. I apologize. It was good seeing everybody tonight. Yeah. Thank well, you. Pleasure. Thank you so, Ryan. Thank you. See you. Can't wait till this guy starts to teach. Mm-hmm. So. Ah, Mary. Hi, Rom. Great job. Hi, and, uh, it's a lot. And, um, I can only imagine how Julia's feeling <laughs> um, because it's a lot. And the first several times I heard this, even going back to when my sisters were both coming, um, you know, we would just feel like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what to say. My head just got uh-huh. blown up. But um, 
Yeah, I, I've noticed yeah, that it's, it's good to take this sutta in small nibbles because yeah. uh, it's just, it comes, it, it just keeps coming at you, like one thing after another. Well, oh my God. It comes at you big and then small and then maybe big again and then small because uh -huh. at the end of the day, we can understand the concepts eventually, right? We can understand, we can go back to the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. We can understand the idea of this intertwining, looping of things, and then if we can sever it, we can imagine that looping falling apart and falling to the floor and dispersing. We can kind of imagine or sense what that would be like. And for me, I think the key still is the integrated life, right? To take this from this class you know, even if we just have an inkling of an understanding or an appreciation right now, but to be able to take it all out of this class and um, in all the other ways that we're trying to bring this practice to our life off the cushion into our real lives with difficult situation or people or all sorts of things that are going on in our lives. Mm -hmm. But the key is to develop that concentration that allows you to summon that up, whatever the gleaning was from tonight, to be able to summon it up live and in the moment so that you can apply it because the application is the knowing. The application is the direct experience of going, okay, this just happened. This was different than this usually happens. I feel differently than I usually feel in these situations or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or the absence of this, I'm aware of, you know, might be the absence of all the ajita or something. And and that's our our that's the the good feedback of that these things are working. So it's kind of like you want to say, don't get too concerned about this sutta it'll come around again mm -hmm. and each time you'll learn more about it but it shouldn't you know i wouldn't want it to deter anyone and that it's just another reminder that it comes down to the four noble truths and the eightfold path mm -hmm. that there are things that we can do to interrupt what's going on in our head and the perceptions and fabrications we have of this life we're living or who we are or what we're, what we're doing, and that we can interrupt all of that. That it, at the end of the day, you're telling us that we can interrupt this and then be free of it. And that's what we're going for. And um, anyway, that's all I have to say. Yeah. yeah, thank you. And, and yes, it's, it's, the, it's the interruption that's important here. But before you can interrupt it, you first of all have to know what it is that you're interrupting, and B, have the, the concentration, the, the non-distractedness to actually do it. Uh, yeah, and by itself, you know, dependent origination, and specifically this sutta is, is very complex, but um, there's no need to keep the whole thing in, 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 your, in your tiny head, because uh, right. it just don't fit. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. Well, thank you. Thank you. Julia. 
Hi, everybody. Um, Rom, thanks for teaching that. I find this, like, very relieving, um, honestly, uh, from what I took from it. Um, and it reminds me more and more to be gentle with myself because of the fact that everything happens slowly no matter what I do about it, no matter how hard I stress about it. Mm. Um, if I'm unable to bring my, if I realize hours have gone by and I haven't gone to my breath, hearing and I've been in my head or, you know, planning something or working or something, this just reminds me that like, it really doesn't matter because I have right now to do this and come back. Mm -hmm. um, That's a great so thing to take away from So to be gentle that it's okay that I missed yep. hours, like, because I know that I'm not going to be at my breath every single second. Um, so I like hearing this stuff and yeah, there's really nothing that I can do about, um, the fact that, um, you know, like there really is no self, I guess you can say. Like, it just is, and it's kind of cool, actually. And that's why I'm saying it's a relief, because, you know, there is a way, like, there is an end, or not, I don't know, there is, all suffering comes to an end, right, eventually, and uh, might as well enjoy it, no matter if it's hard. Like, physical pain is, is definitely um, hard to deal with, mm -hmm. but it's like, it does come to an end and it's temporary. So let's enjoy the, the, the bad and the good sensations while we're here. So that's yeah. kind of what I got out of it. Right. Yeah. Stay with it. You know, and, and, uh, yeah, that self, you know, there, yeah, there is a self, but you know what? It keeps changing. And it, because, you know, the, the, the awakened self just deals with life as it comes along, you know? And it, it doesn't need it to be any different than what it is. That's that's the whole difference. Yeah. So is our self just like the our perception of things? Like that's what I'm re like thinking. It's yeah. You can't just tie it to just the perceptions. Um, there is a self that perceives. Um, and there is a self that feels, and there is a self that that thinks, um, but it's not a it's not a hard and fast thing. Um, the, and the, you know the, the, these are these discussions about whether there is a self, there isn't a self, or, you know what you know. Um, doesn't really lead to a lot of things. Don't get stuck into into those kind of of uh, thought patterns. Uh, it, it's it's popular in, in especially in the spiritual world to to try and nail these things down. Um, it's way more important to have a a working practice than to have a a perfect sense of what the self really is um, this is this is a practice 
This is a practice, and it is a practice to end this sense, this sense of suffering. And that's what it's about. So is it like the self that's suffering? Um, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there, there is an entity there that's, that, that suffers and that is, that is stressed. And, you know, some of that was covered in the beginning of, of this sutta. Um, but instead of um, spending a lot of time thinking about that, you're better off um, doing the practice, you know, keeping the meditation going so you have a concentrated mind, so you can start seeing how these things arise. You can see them when they arise. And then you can see whether or not you react to what's happening. And that's the liberating part. That's the insight. That's the insight that we're looking for here. Okay. Okay. Thank you. You're um, welcome. Hope to see you soon. Slav, how are you doing? Thank you, Thank you, Ramon's very nice and clear uh, explanation. You're welcome. Uh, it, was, uh, it was. It is not easy because this is a. Um, there's a lot of layers to this, and frankly, every time I read this sutta, more than more than others, I'm, I'm almost daunted to to dive back into it again. And, but on the other hand, it's it is liberating because every time I do that, I see other connections. Um, and in the end, it helps my practice. To see the connections and where to put my finger on the connection. When I go from contact to feeling, when I understand how, you know, what makes these feelings arise and how feelings lead to uh, craving, those are important things to see in life because that's going to be the thing that liberates you from your from those cravings thank you uh, Jane you're still there yes I am Good. thank you Ron for um, sharing your insights um, I can appreciate the journey that you had to take to get to the level of understanding you have now. Mm. And um, just like the Buddha, I mean, you're generous enough to not stop there and to want to share it with with others. You know, the effort you put into presenting it in such a way that someone like me could understand it. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much. You're welcome. And uh, any time that I do present it or any other teaching, uh, the benefit for myself is is just huge, and um, so um, there is a uh, um, 
there's a self-serving part in this, <laughs> but uh, I, thank you for for being here and uh, and listening. Thank you. So, Bridget. Thank you. I feel a little bit like when I had to learn calculus. <laughs> uh, um, I could see that. I'm with you. And then I lose it, uh -huh. and then I pick it back up, you uh -huh. know, and so I feel like there, you know, it's a lot, uh, like you're saying, yeah. you know, you'll but come you back to But you saw me doing it. the same thing, like in the middle of it, I'm going, ah, where am pick I now? Pick back up, yeah, yeah back where you're leaving bit, off. Yeah. Uh -huh. But I think, I guess the one question I have is just like to maybe check and see if I understand mm -hmm. the tiny little kernel that I think mm -hmm. I'm getting. Is that kind of like what Julia was saying as she's questioning this idea of a self, which I think is already a great sign. Right? Mm -hmm. You're already aware that you don't have yeah. to identify as, right. uh, you know, a Ram, uh, you know, a Bridget, a, you uh -huh. know, whoever. Right. Like, yeah. you know, you can see that a lot of that is, you know, fabrication. And that as she was questioning it and you were saying, well, don't get too hung up on like the theoretical semantics of the self. Mm. Come back to the practice that almost in the just doing that, as she was saying, she did, it reminds her to be gentle with herself and come back mm -hmm. to her breath, that that's already the interrupting. Mm -hmm. You're already noticing it. Yep. So in that moment, when you realize that you're fabricating or, you know, wrong view or whatever you're doing, mm -hmm. I guess that's the same thing, but you're there, you're, you're lost. You're choosing in that moment what, to, what you give birth to in the next moment. Do you connect that moment to staying present with mm -hmm. the right view in yeah, because, just in what because is? Because in... in Whatever you're experiencing there, this, this, this thing called the five clinging aggregates, this, this thing that per perceives all this suffering, um, is being further fabricated. You know, every, it, there's another twig poked into the, into the bird's nest of, of, of the self. Yeah. And, so and if so, you choose not to keep so, going... Now keep going, now you go, and after a while you realize, oh, if I take this thing out, if I don't do this anymore, mm -hmm. there's less of that. And it starts to fall apart. And it starts to fall apart. Okay. And it, but it's a, it's a gentle process. It's not, it, there are no lightning bolts here, you know, there's no thunderclaps. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a slow process. It can be a little daunting, especially in the beginning, when you're when you're starting to see all those all those fabricated loops that you were attached to in the beginning, and now you realize, oh shit, uh, oh yeah, and then I do that, and, and you know, so it that can be a little daunting, but if you keep that gentle. presence there um, it becomes easier I think even just you saying like 
stick with the practice and be gentle with yourself. Mm -hmm. It helps with the not getting too bogged into. Oh, <laughs> I did all of that in the past. Like, oh, that was yeah. crazy. Uh huh. But also, yeah. let's not do that again. Yeah. Like, that's 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 the answer. Like, oh well, yeah. no, that didn't work. Let's not but do that again. But also the like staying in the moment and that because it does feel daunting, and I feel like even with tonight's teaching, I almost had it and then I lost it mm -hmm. with the you know using the word consciousness. And I felt like I could understand the what the Buddha was saying, and then I lost it, uh -huh. and a couple of other places. And I I understand the concept of the feedback loop, but I mm -hmm. don't quite get it yet. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just that I'm extremely yeah. grateful mm -hmm. <laughs> that you're so patient, and uh, that it's something that I can garner so much benefit from without mm -hmm. having to get the whole thing first. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that is, you know, it is almost the most important thing to realize on, on, on this Nagara Sutta and on Dependent Origin. You don't have to get the whole shebang at once. Because, frankly, you can't. <laughs> you know, yes, you know, when you finally, when you have reached the, that level of non-distraction, um, yes, when you... But then it's just seeing. You're not holding anything in mind. You're just, it just oh, oh, this is how it's happening. Okay. It's hard yeah. to even imagine, but yeah. I'm not gonna try. I'm just right. gonna focus but on yeah, the practice it, right now. Yeah, don't beat yourself up for 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 not getting the whole thing because, um, frankly, that's not the point of it. The point of it is to, to, um, to gain an understanding of the individual steps in it. Because that's where you can apply your your restraint in that moment when you see, oh, I just got upset about something that I heard. Contact with the senses, can raise the feelings, and those feelings then give rise to, and so, right there. Oh, I don't have to take that next step. I don't have to now get involved with my feelings. I don't have these are not my feelings anymore. They're just feelings that come up because something came in through the door. You so know, you just let it go. Yeah, it's there, and uh, you know. And frankly, I saw what happened the last time I did this, and it didn't <laughs> work. So out, let's yeah. not do that again. <laughs> yeah, that's it. John, thank you, Ron. It really was it was outstanding. Um, you touched on some things that uh, you brought out some things that I don't know that I ever went quite that deep with it. Uh, you know, I look at these, I look at dependent origination in the Gaurasutta quite differently than I did when I first came across them. And when I first came across them, they seemed quite daunting. But now, when I look at both of those, they seem very obvious to me. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I'm saying that is that just that's just how the Dhamma develops. You know, these things that seem they seem daunting, but they're not. Because mm -hmm. daunting almost puts the label that it's beyond mere human being's capacity. Mm -hmm. And it's not. It meant the Buddha taught this Dhamma for every human being to awaken right here in this lifetime. He didn't teach it in a complicated way. He taught it, taught it in a very straightforward way. Um, even concepts like self and not self that were 
confusing during the Buddhist time, he explained them clearly that his, his whole notion of most of the religions during the Buddhist time and our time, even Christian religions, resolve themselves in some form of annihilation of self, meaning an establishment of a human being in an endless heaven is an annihilation of self, if you think about it. So, the, and, and the idea of aspiring to nothingness, which is where most of modern Buddhism goes, is taught because people just don't understand. And so they create a concept like that that is easily explainable. We all end up in nothingness or emptiness or heaven forever and ever and ever. Where the Buddha thought, and he looked out, he looked out on the world, and he cre came to this great realization that we're all human beings. That's it. We're all human beings. There's not a self, there's not a not-self. It's obvious. The Buddha taught the most obvious thing. What's here? When your mind calms down, when I develop concentration or refined mindfulness, and I develop right view, and I look out, and I see what's here? It's a human being. It's a six-property person. And that six-property person has something called consciousness. <laughs> and, it, and because of ignorance, we get caught up in identifying things that happen in our consciousness. And you described this really brilliantly, the feedback loop of consciousness turning back on name and form and going no further. That can seem confusing until you, until you stop right there. What are we talking about? We're talking about consciousness, something that begins at birth and continues for every human being until they die. It's not my consciousness, it's not anybody's consciousness, it's just consciousness and I have it. And because of ignorance, I create these little points in my life called name and form, self-referential views that I attach to things, people, events, objects, apples, dogs, whatever, you name it. And that becomes these sticking points in mm -hmm. consciousness. So as consciousness is revolving around and something triggers this referential view, there it is again. But all it is, is just consciousness playing that same game. So even that's not that terribly complicated. Mm -hmm. That this thinking that I came into this situation that the Buddha is teaching us here is the same thinking that we used to get out of it. And as mm -hmm. Ram described, we quiet our minds quiet enough that every human being can do so that we can see just that. What am I doing with my consciousness? Am I continuing to maintain not name and form? Because, Ram, again, Ram described this whole sutta is about recognizing it in this moment. And then what do I do? I remind myself, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. And what I'm training myself to do is to interrupt that feedback loop and so not take anything personal. Because everything that I take personal is occurring in that feedback loop in this mind, in this body. And none of it is happening out there. And and I say this often, I wish I had come across, I, I didn't come across the Nagara Sutta until I was, I don't know, maybe five or six years into the restoration process, but I wish I came across it very early. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think this is something that, and we do it here, that, that sincere Buddhist students should hear it very early in their teaching, because this is the man telling us just what he did. And so now, like Ram just taught us, and we, we revisit this four or five times a year, we can keep the same focus that, yeah, this is all that I'm working on. It's just, it's just my mind caught up in these self-referential views. And then, it, it, then the re that resolves into what am I going to become in this moment? Am I going to become, incline my mind, my mind towards becoming further ignorant? Or through the Dhamma, I can incline my mind towards becoming awakened. And that's the potential that each moment holds. So again, Ron, it's just, just an outstanding class on this thing. And I should say, 
Rom asked it to taste it. See, I didn't assign it or anything oh, like yeah. that. He said, he said, please, let me destroy myself over this one. <laughs> yeah. But you didn't. Blow my little head up over this one. <laughs> yeah, you didn't at all. Great. I, sorry, I don't know your name. Jennifer. Jennifer. Jennifer, okay. Yes, yes. Jennifer used to come. You remember Jennifer. A long time ago, five years ago, right? Yeah, when you were in the other, right. yeah, yeah. the other building. Oh, okay. And yeah. I got distracted. But I'm back. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. I have been working on self mm -hmm. and in my thoughts working on, okay, you're bringing yourself to this, you're bringing the eye making, you're bringing, mm -hmm. you know, really, really working on that without a complete understanding of what's going on just knowing to mm -hmm. separate okay how the self is constructed yes you know. and you're doing it again yep. you're doing it again you're doing it again you know and um, but this was I mean it, 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 it just went right into the core of it and like everybody else I grasped it and it was, it was very free. Mm -hmm. Just the moment you grab it, for me, the moment yeah. I grasped it, I felt very, very light. And I feel mm -hmm. this stuff yeah. just, wow. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, I don't want that to get away from me. Yeah, right? Okay, wait a minute. You know? <laughs> so there you are again. Uh, you know? Yeah. Um, and having to come back to, you know, mm -hmm. just, yeah, understanding it, and I, I go through the same stuff. You know, I I, I read it and I think, oh yes, yeah. and then five minutes later, was, uh, where was I? <laughs> did, yeah, did I see that? And uh, but it it does come back. Yeah, it does it does, it does return, and you know, um, yeah, the, these these suttas should be read with 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 a real gentle mind. Um, because it, it's easy to fall into either this this elation, uh, you know, and wanting that to continue, or this uh, oh my god, this is too complicated. You know, I went to, I went back and forth five six times with them. Yeah, it hurt a little bit. Yeah, you, know? you feel <laughs> yeah. like this expansion happening. It almost feels like you know. Yeah. Oh. But you know, it, but it's here. Yeah. The teaching is here. It's you know it. It's available, and you can spend and it's just and, and literally spend time with it. read it. If you really want to get into it, write it out. Just you know because it again it, it that settles the words in in your mind in an easy way. Um, I'm a f I've always been a fast reader in my life, so I have a tendency to skim over things, and I I miss a lot I if I do that. Writing it down gets your mind focused on the words, and you get to see all the words. And the Buddha was very careful with his words. You know, yes, you know it's twenty six hundred years of transmission, translation, this and that, and the other thing. But the core is is here, and um, all the meaning is still here. Thank you very, very much. Brett, good to see you again. Good to see you too. Good to be here. Thanks for your teaching.
it was a lot. Um, I'm still a little, uh, I guess the becoming and the not becoming, and mm -hmm. uh, I still am figuring that out, I guess, uh, becoming further ignorant. Uh, is that what it basically yeah. breaks down to? Or? I, I spend, I don't know, five, eight, ten hours always at the shore and, and just in, in plowing through the Lokasutra. And it's, it's all becoming, unbecoming, this becoming, that becoming. Um, that's a, it's a very tricky subject. Yeah, uh, and, but I like it. You know, it's, uh, and it's, you know, it is an essential part of, of uh, dependent origination. Right. Um, it's, it's good to uh, spend some time with it. Yeah, I think I need to delve into that a little bit. And uh, I, I just get out of it, you know, you know, wanting things to be different than they are, mm -hmm. and uh, and that's where the I guess the eye making will come in because you are identifying with some kind of part of your self referential loop that wants it to be different or you mm -hmm. don't like the way it feels, and then, so then you you know to I quick I was to quickly I was <clears throat> had a good day. And then I was, there's a part of me that says, just, just stop and back off. You don't need to do any more today. You're good. Uh -huh. like, and then that's, that's, that's that non-self, you know, usually there's somebody in there going, oh, no, you got to do this, or, you know, that's going to yeah. make you happy. But, but, yes, but, yeah. but what is that? That's not, you know, if you take yourself out of there, then it's just fine the way it is. And there's mm -hmm. nothing, there's no self-referential loop saying that you have to do anything yeah. to be more than, what you are, and then I, you know, so then I, you know, called, uh, you know, and I, and I just got some news that was slightly unsettling, but it wasn't even that unsettling. It was just, it was just sit with this, and my, my whole, my whole, my, my body, my mind said, sit with this, go for a walk, instead of doing what I'm about to do, which was to go, you know, call somebody, do something, do something, which was to go get a tire for my truck. I called around. I got to the tire place, and the whole time I'm like, you should just be on a walk right now. You should just be on a walk. I got to the tire place, and they're like, oh, we can't do that. You're, we're going to close in a few minutes. I'm like, you just said I could do it. And like, I took everything from, everything in me from like slamming the door, and like, and like, like we can't, you know. I'm like, I'm like, well, that's, you know, you okay. sat with it. Everything was right there. And. So, next time? And next time, yeah, that's I said, I said, I got to be, I got, I'm like, I saw it, I saw it, mm -hmm. I saw it. Yeah. But you didn't explode. And no, I didn't explode, and, and I stayed yeah. with. You know, I said, "All right, so I'm not, I'm not sitting with this 100 percent, but I am taking a ride, and I'll digest it this way, I guess, for now, and then, you know, next time I'll sit with it, because then you don't have to run from it, and then, yeah, and that's when that whole loop starts." Thanks. Thanks, bro. Thank you, Robin. I like that it's daunting. <laughs> I like it. Because why would I <coughs> not be daunted by seeing the Buddha when he has insight to three marks? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't I be daunted? Yeah. I like that Bridget daunted. <laughs> I like that John's not so daunted. <laughs> and I like that the Buddha's given us these gentle tools of the Eightfold Path and his teachings and the teachers, including the Buddha and the Sangha, 
And so that gets me out of fishing twice a day, every day, no breaks. And I did this sutta, and I absolutely crashed and burned. Absolutely, in my mind, horrible job. Oh, yeah, I remember it. You didn't. And it, uh -huh. it's a it's a daunting thing, but so is the Samsapa Sutta, uh -huh. which is the simplest sutta, yeah. and it's all saying the same thing. Yeah. So is the Salaka Sutta. Simple, uh -huh. digestible, it's the same, uh -huh. it's all the same. Yeah, and you can, you can, and that's daunting. You can look at that as a wall as well. Yes, so take heart to that, that it's, it's just gentle with yourself. Be persistent, be curious, and keep coming. You know, when you feel like you don't want to come, come. Um, that's and that's that's the, the practice. So thank you, Ron. That was awesome. Thanks, David. Um, I I really am just thrilled to see how you continue to to develop this mm -hmm. and it, it's really yeah you were there when oh um, yeah I mean it's, it's, the first it's really um, it's powerful to see your effort and, and put into this mm -hmm. and how you've been turning this over and finding all of the little things that you found and yeah. sharing it with us like Jane was saying yeah. um, so I'm really heartened by that and I and you know when you teach this there's oh I always get a lot mm -hmm. and you know listening to everybody here tonight and kind of you know what David said the Buddha is is talking about gently helping us understand our contribution to our stress mm -hmm. That's it. Yes. And so that's what we're doing. And and you know, like Julia, we might we might not get it all right now tonight. But something in there that we had a hold of for a moment was helping us understand our contribution to our stress in our lives. And that's 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 what this practice is. That's that's why this is this is the ancient and timeless path that's that's been given to humanity by a human being who followed it. Um, yeah, and he says it yeah. several times. I follow this this path. path. And this talks about also what this course study is about. Yeah, it doesn't happen any other way other than John. John. And the rest of this people path. Yeah. My appropriate mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah. So even with even if we don't understand every single thing or don't get every single thing right now in this immensely deep sutta, mm -hmm. we get that through developing concentration through jhana meditation mm -hmm. we will begin to understand our contribution to our stress mm -hmm. and 
that's everything. Yeah. But every detail that you get from this sutta, every detail, well, you get from any sutta, is a prize. Yeah. It's just a prize. You know, it's a gift. Cherish it. Uh -huh. Thank you, Ron. Thank you all. All right. A quick reminder of what to do when you think that the world is just too tough. And the people are after you. The Karaniya Metta Sutta. This <clears throat> is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward, gentle in speech, humble, not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none, through anger or ill will, wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so, with a boundless heart, should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you, Thank you Ron. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, and have a good night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.